All right, everybody, let's kick this off with a bang. Excuse me, sir. What is it? Well, it's just that, the what? Come on, spit it out. The recommender review pick that Dixon has, it doesn't have a trailer. What do you mean? Like, like in a traditional sense, it's just music. What, it's just, they put a bunch of title cards over it. Well, just have somebody read the fucking title cards, okay? I don't have time for this, okay? We're trying to do the first okay. recommender review of the okay. year. Just get it done. Yes, sir. All right, everybody, quiet places, talents in front of the microphone. Let's do this right. Rolling. Afterthought's first recommender of feud of 2024. Take one, apple bottom jeans and action. Welcome to Afterthoughts. Welcome to the new year. Uh, this is our recommend and refute episode. Recommend or refute. Recommend or refute. What did refute. I say? Did you I kept saying to recommend in. You did it for all the retrospective, and I never said anything. And now today you ruin it. <laughs> Leave recommend or refute alone, Ryan. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> right, it's been a while since I've forgotten what it's called. So you've remembered to forget. <laughs> I was trying really hard before, and now I was thinking about something else. So Baseball, football. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about dogs playing sports. That's all Ryan thinks about anymore. Just on yeah, a loop. It is. It is. <laughs> yes, I am your host, Ryan King. <laughs> and, and uh, joining me, we have uh, John Garcia. You jumped in. <laughs> yeah, I'm really concerned about you, Ryan. I know that you've been going to the animal shelters and asking them to see the batting average of the dogs. <laughs> um, and also Michael Dixon. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's already off to a good start, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, we're going to be recommending or refuting some things or ref- or refuting, tonight. Or refuting. Uh, we will not be doing both unless John tries to pull some shit like usual <laughs> hey i'm not gonna try uh, this time uh, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll 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 try to rain it we'll try to rain it in we gotta get good it's a new year's resolution job we gotta we gotta rain it in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> that's right that's why we put that shit at the end of the year the like <laughs> october just yeah. the halloween september shit we, we put it at the end and yeah then uh we'll, we'll come back we'll get we'll get normal mm-hmm. uh so, uh, anyway, Dixon, what, what did you watch? Please tell us. Yeah. So I just, uh, you know, I, I went home for Christmas and hung out with my mom for a few days and I always bring a collection of Blu-rays when I go home and hang out with my mom, just the two of us. So it's like, you know, it, uh, a fun thing to do together to watch the movies, uh, typically bring mostly like old Hollywood stuff that is relatively harmless that she will be cool with a lot of. Cary Grant, um, Jimmy Stewart, that kind of, of thing. Barbara Stanwyck. Um, and um, my favorite movie that we watched over the holiday season was Frank Capra's 1938 classic, You Can't Take It With You. Throughout the years, very few productions have achieved permanent lasting fame. Among these, many of Frank Capra's successes have found an enduring place. Who can ever forget these ones? It happened one night. Boy, the morning after, you should have seen it. Mr. Deeds goes to town. Boy, did he ever. And of course, everyone found The Lost Horizon compelling. Now, Columbia Pictures proudly presents the famous Pulitzer Prize play adaptation, Frank Capra's crowning achievement, You Can't Take It With You. 
the greatest human comedy of our time. All right, who wrote this copy? If you've seen It's a Wonderful Life you sh- and you like it, you should definitely watch You Can't Take It With You. This is eight years prior to It's a Wonderful Life, but there are a lot of those ideas of Frank Capra in You Can't Take It With You, the concept of uh, the common man versus the banker, uh, socialism versus capitalism, uh, good versus evil. Those those types of ideas are very much in this movie. Um it's a young Jimmy Stewart playing a kind of a quasi lead role. There are kind of several lead characters. There's not necessarily one particular protagonist, which I thought was interesting. Jimmy Stewart plays the son of a wealthy bank tycoon. Uh, this bank tycoon thinks that Jimmy Stewart is going to take over his business from him, but is totally blind to the fact that Jimmy Stewart has no interest in his father's business and is kind of just begrudgingly working there because he is expected to do so. Um, Meanwhile, he falls in love with his secretary, played by Gene Arthur, who was a a massive movie star of the time. Uh, Gene Arthur is the uh, part of a a very artistic, bohemian, weird family that lives in this house uh, owned by her grandfather. Um, His daughter uh, is like an artist who who writes novels because a typewriter was accidentally delivered to the wrong address and now she just writes books for a living uh, or a living really more for fun. Um, her grandfather runs this this house in the style of, you know, he's like, I worked a nine to five job 30 years ago and I got tired of that shit. Now I just do whatever I want. And, you know, he has the house paid off and he just allows everyone who lives there to kind of pursue their dreams and whatever they want to do. So his daughter writes books her husband makes fireworks. Um, their daughter has a, a job at a bank. She's like the only person in that household who actually has a, a normal job. There are also just random people. There's like a milkman who came by nine years ago and never left that just like <laughs> makes toys and just random shit like that. Dude, right. Um, so the premise of the story, Jimmy Stewart's father is played by Edward Arnold. He is this bank tycoon and he is determined to buy up this massive 12 square block area in Manhattan to build a munitions factory because it is 1938. And with all the chaos going on in Europe at the time, he's like, hey, the way to get rich in 1938 is to build a massive ammunition factory. And he is bound and determined to be a war profiteer and to just become even more rich than he already is. Uh, The problem is there is one house in these 12 square blocks that will not sell. And that house is owned by Jimmy Stewart's love interest grandfather who runs this household of random artists who do whatever they want um they don't realize this is the dynamic right so jimmy stewart is dating this girl he doesn't realize that her grandfather is the holdout to his father's empire building and um that leads to a lot of hilarious antics that occur when the families meet as you know jimmy stewart is thinking about proposing to his girlfriend and you know the the families meet and have this crazy dynamic that occurs um the grandfather who runs this bohemian artistic household is played by lionel barrymore who is mr potter in it's a wonderful life and it is just an absolute joy to see him play the exact opposite character of who he (laughs) played in it's a wonderful life where instead of being the evil banker capitalist he is the artistic holdout who doesn't care that the uh you know the evil banker wants to offer him way more than his property's worth to build an ammunition factory he's like no like I've lived here for decades. We're staying. We're not leaving. We're going to run this little artist camp here at our house. You can go fuck yourself. Um, 
so it, it's it's a very interesting dynamic. A lot of these ideas that that Capra talks about in It's a Wonderful Life, um, the, there's a lot of co- great comedy scenes in the movie. There's you know you know oh we invite Jimmy Stewart's parents over for dinner and comedy ensues because all this random shit is happening where these artists run in and like launch the new fireworks that they just made or like decide to pose for paintings during dinner and and all of these crazy things that that happen. And uh, it's just like, it's really funny, but it's also very poignant about late 1930s America with the depression and the uh, the upcoming war. And it, it's a very interesting film. It's based on a play that was written uh, not too long before that. I think it may be two years before. And the movie, Capra bought the movie rights and, and turned it into this film. But um, I, I really enjoyed it. If you like It's a Wonderful Life, it's definitely something that would be up your alley. So um John, I, I definitely recommend you check it out. Ryan, you've you've seen this movie, right? I've seen it um, a few times, definitely multiple times. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it. It's actually one, it, it's funny that you brought it up. I was going to say like, oh man, I was thinking about that. Um, that was one of the movies I was thinking about going back and, and pulling for my family to watch because yeah, it's, I mean, especially it's a time period and Frank, Frank Capra, like it's mm-hmm. watchable by anyone. Um, I'm glad to hear that it, that it has held up, that it's still good. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely remember, and I do think that, like, I do think going back, there's going to be some things knowing, kind of like, I'm a lot older, it was definitely maybe back in high school when I watched it, but knowing this is before World War II, and I remember some of the discussions of, like, communism, and uh, the way the world has changed from, like, accepting all to, like, bomb us, you know, what does yeah. he say, something like, he's like, think like we think, or we'll bomb you, which is... I guess, you know, that someone recognized that back then, but that we're still in that same mentality, you know, that there's still... official U.S. foreign policy right now. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what it's been. How we yeah. operate as a country. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I remember it fondly. So uh, bringing it back up, I, I do. I have thought about watching it recently. So, yeah, it's good to hear. Yeah, I'm excited to, to dig into it. I love Capra uh, from everything that I've seen from Frank Capra. He can do no wrong as far as I know yet. Um, I haven't found something that I haven't liked I don't love Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I know you um, don't, but I do. <laughs> uh, I, I get what he's In trying to do, yeah. but a movie that is, uh, you know, praising the filibuster is uh, feels a little bit dated to me. But uh, It is, yeah. yeah. It has that optimism of, like, that there were tools that were meant to be used with good nature and good yeah. intents and could stop. But, yeah, I agree. There's, there's a bit of that. Uh, is the optimism the... of Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just a bill. Yeah, I'm only a bill. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, the You Can't Take It With You poster, and it looks like the poorest attempt at a Photoshop I've ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. But I'm not going to take that at any face value. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know Capra's good for it, but that poster, <laughs> this it's kind of funny to just look at it and be like, there's so much empty space. I bet they were just like, yeah, just fuck it. Put all these, good these Hollywood stars on here. Put the stable on here. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's like, it's a schmaltzy Capra movie, but I, I think like I think Capra's movies get boiled down to be more simplistic than they actually are. You know, people talk about his movies like, oh, he's this idealist. He's like not he doesn't really understand how the world works. And, and you know, it's like, oh, if you want to get caught up in, uh, you know, 
a great uh you know feel good movie go watch a capra movie but like you know people almost talk down to capra and i think he is just so much smarter and better than that and it's just disappointing to me how we talk about capra in modern terms like you're gonna be hard-pressed to find somebody who doesn't like it's a wonderful life but aside from that like I, i feel like the modern discourse on capra is uh you know he just was this idealist whatever like you know he's kind of naive and I don't think that's what Capra is at all. If, if you watch his films, I think he's very aware of the time that he lives in and the political ideologies that are going around at the time. And like, you know, in the thirties, like socialism was actually very popular in America. And like a lot of people like believed that until, you know, Russia became the enemy and you couldn't believe that anymore. Um, but like, you know, he, he takes a lot of the political ideologies that are going around in depression era America and makes movies that, actually discuss them in a coherent way inside a setting that feels realistic in a family that has to kind of deal with these things and it's like you know yet no not everything and you can't take it with you feels realistic because it's this crazy artistic family that you know lives in this house and like one of the opening scenes in the film is is uh lionel barrymore going into a realtor's office who's trying to buy his house and like just walking up to some random dude at a typewriter being like, you like this job? What do you really want to do? And he's like, oh, I like building toys. And he just pulls out a random toy under his desk. He's like, why don't you quit your job and come live with me and just build your toys <laughs> for a living? You know, it's like, there's stuff like that, that, you know, it's like, it's not, not everything feels like a realistic uh, real world family, but the ideas that are being discussed feel like things that a real family would be talking about at the time. And I think the the way those political ideologies are portrayed within the context of a family trying to work things out and understand where they fit in society and how these things come together, I think Capra does that better than just about any filmmaker that that I've seen. Yeah, it's not. You can totally explore really interesting things in these idealistic ways, and even as you say, mm-hmm. like Mr. Mr. Smith goes to Washington, what they're talking about with the political system. You know, the the idea of, I mean, honestly, we talked about it recently, what public land should be, what it should be used yeah. for. Like there's, there are all interesting discussions there about how the system works, the way they fix it, eh, questionable, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, is it like realistic or whatever? Is it the idealistic thing? Sure. But I, I also think like some of it is looking through a lens of far, far from the time period, looking back and saying, that essentially was like an he you know if you look at Mr. Smith there's some sort of new deal philosophies in there before the fucking war has happened mm-hmm. uh it happened one night is a very sexy movie yep and pushing a lot of lines of boundaries for what it was uh then um the whole concept of like your character was going to commit suicide and we're going to talk about it and oh it's a wonderful life know, is so much and, darker than people yeah it's yeah. so dark yeah, yeah. Uh, and I also really love Arsenic and Old Lace. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I've always thought that movie is absolutely hilarious, but it's also like, it is a dark comedy, like mm-hmm. really thinking about about it. Like it's played completely for laughs, but you're like, wow, this is a bunch of problematic people here. Mm. Yeah. And it's, just, it's wild to me that people talk about Capra as if he is this idealistic American family man filmmaker who just makes things that are like, here's the this classic American ideal. Like that's not Not him. He was a subversive filmmaker who kind of like undercut a lot of the common ideas at the time. And his movies have 
feel-good, happy endings, and so therefore people associate his films with schmaltz, and that's not that's not what they are at all. I feel like he and Preston Sturges have like a bonded brotherhood. Oh, interesting. In their their <laughs> old Hollywood, they both just have these these like sharp eyes for the things that were going on at the time that are like timeless struggles for humanity. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, that's like the thing. If, if he had been somebody who was as tame or subdued as uh, it's kind of presented in the public of like, it's a wonderful life is a feel good family movie. That shit would have faded so fast because mm-hmm. the cultural zeitgeist changes, you know, yeah. between decades, but it's not, it's so dark and there's such a, a heavy tone to it, but like a meaningful message behind it that it has lasting power. And that's just a lot of Capra. And I feel like a lot of Sturges too. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's interesting to to think about that. And that kind of like compared to now, we already talked about the holdovers in the previous episode and how like, I feel like a lot of people always try to claim that this is the new Christmas classic and like, Christmas classic is to me something that reflects on all of humanity. Like that just is something that becomes a story that gets told year and year again. Mm. Like it can't just have Santa and snow to make it a Christmas classic. That's <laughs> fucking weak. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I do want to see this. Uh, I got to catch up with more of my Capra, I suppose. Cause I don't, I haven't seen that. And I haven't seen some of the other, uh, titles that he's made. I haven't even seen arsenic and old lace. I just, have you seen it happen to one night? No, I haven't. Oh, man. Has, have you only yeah. seen It's a Wonderful Life? It's a Wonderful Life, and I feel like they're Mr. Oh, and Mr. 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 Washington. Washington. Yeah, 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 just those. Which, I think uh, just those. The original Mr. Deeds goes to town. I think I, I did see that. I have not seen that one. Mr. Yeah. Deeds. It, it's, it's okay. That, one, that one's pretty idealistic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely, that's, that's on my short list of Capra movies to, to watch. Um, he also, I watched a movie earlier this year from him from 1932 called American Madness that is about a bank run. And it's like very much like, oh yeah, he did this in It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Walter Houston as, as the lead. And it's like, it's pretty good. It's, you know, 32. So it's very much in, you know, the depression has just started and, and all this shit is happening and FDR hasn't even been elected yet. And, um, like he was always, it felt like he was always on the pulse of what was going on in American society mm. and making movies about what real people were having to to deal with in their lives because of all of the Wall Street fraud and all these terrible things that were going on at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 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 All right. That's I got. That's all, all right. I got. That's a recommend for uh, you. Can't take it with you. Yep. I I, I agree with that. Uh, all right, John. Let's let's. That was a good movie, a good classic movie. Let's try. Well, what are you let's trying try to set me up for? Yeah. <laughs> what do you have, John? What do you have for us? Um, well, I mean, I feel like thematically, in terms of something that tries to make a big, bold statement and and tell people, you know, it grabs the audience and it shakes them and says, "You gotta do this. Think about this. Live this way." Um, I, for whatever fucking reason over the break, was reminded of Pleasantville from 1998. (laughs) There's a place where life is simple. People are perfect. And everything is black and white. Honey, I'm home. It's a place that's as far from reality as we can imagine. How about some marshmallow rice squares? Those are swell. But maybe it's a lot closer. Than we think. 
We're in Pleasantville? No! We're supposed to be in school. We're supposed to be in color? What's all the commotion? Who's that? I didn't think you'd want to come here until we'd been pinned for a little while. You can pin me anytime you want to. From the creator of Big and Dave. What are you doing to these people? You can't do this to them. You're messing with their whole universe. Maybe it needs to be messed with, David. Comes a story about the loss of innocence. New Line Cinema presents... Look at my face. It'll go away. I don't want it to go away. So what's going to happen now? I don't know. Pleasantville. What are we going to do, Bob? Well, we're safe for now. Thank goodness we're in a bowling alley. So the synopsis for Pleasantville is... Toby McGuire and Reese Witherspoon are brother and sister who are supposed to be teenagers, but they're like clearly over the twenties mark at this point. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, this is prime cinematic. Toby McGuire. Yeah, yeah, playing age way under his age. Exactly. <laughs> Time period. Uh, yeah. Th- there's like a like a TV Land network that only plays all the old classics, like Leave It to Beaver and whatever else, and they play Pleasantville, which has like William H Macy and Jeff Daniels are somehow in this. Um, sure, whatever. That's the fictional world they live in. Uh, and Toby McGuire, there's there's some kind of trivia off going on that's going to come up soon and he can win a thousand dollars if he knows everything about pleasantville and he and his sister get into a fight over the remote one night because she's about to have a boyfriend over that she's gonna and she wants to be there to do that and he wants to fucking watch pleasantville and um they fight break the remote don knotts shows up the corpse of don knotts shows up in this movie and he he fixes their remote. Um, I assume that, that that this is where Adam Sandler got the idea for Click. Click um, yeah, right. And Don Knotts transports them into the world of Pleasantville, this black and white uh, suburban neighborhood from the 50s that has only white people in it. After a while, they start to discover that they are changing this world and colorizing it, and it creates a rift socially. Um, this is the feel good anti bigot allegory in which colored white people teach white people that the worst thing a white person of any color can be is inauthentic. Oh and, my God. <laughs> uh, it, it is like, I've seen a lot of reviews that are like, it's pretty bold. This movie taking on the topic of racism, especially using only an all white cast. <laughs> what if you were authentic uh, <laughs> to your genocidal self? Exactly. Yeah. Um, like that, that's kind of where things break down for me with this is like, part of it is that allegory. They even start calling the white people who have color colored people. And it gets okay. even weirder <laughs> from there. Uh, and becomes this whole thing of like the town is like, we're going to do a book burning and all this other fucking fascist shit's going to happen because some white people had sex and got colored, which is, uh, it's just so fucking yeah, weird to talk about. Doesn't it. that, I was going to say what I distinctly remember is doesn't the lady masturbate a tree on fire? What? Yes, she does. <laughs> the mom of this wholesome family um, talks to her daughter who's played by Reese Witherspoon. So like Reese Witherspoon and Toby McGuire become the, the like son the and daughter of and... this. Yeah. This, this immaculate <laughs> nuclear family. And uh, Reese Witherspoon just decides she's going to fuck her way to the top of all of the jocks. And she like colorizes the town by showing the jocks that there's more than the wholesomeness that they knew in their like fifties fucking America. 
which is like its own thing. I don't even fucking know how to approach that topic. Um, basically, like once you lose your virginity, you can see color in the world. Yeah, and, and, and things yeah. start to be colorful. And she teaches her mom to masturbate, and her mom masturbates. Oh my god! And a, an entire tree lights on fire. It's like Moses, like the trying to talk to Moses in the desert or some ah. shit. Um, and uh, it's like it's got these funny is that, aspects of is that an allegory for an STD. Yeah, it's just it's weird because it's got this mixed up aspect of like there's like a, a racial allegory and a feminist allegory. And it's kind of like railing against this nuclear family of the 50s. But it's doing so in a way that doesn't mention anything about other ethnicities. Um, and so like, there's a whole sequence where they're sitting in a diner and these kids are like, Oh my God, this book, it, it just started filling in all the pages. The moment somebody started talking about what it was about is like Huck Fenn. And Toby McGuire's like, Oh yeah, it's about this kid who like goes with the slave and he writes the, nobody asks a question about the slave. Nobody gives a fuck about the slaves. But the moment that they talk about hey. anything else, they're like, apples that are colored red like what's that about and i'm like okay come on like this fucking town they've got to at least ask what's a slave or like i don't even know it's just pitch perfect apple pie america the 1950s knew about slavery they just didn't talk they, about yeah it. they just didn't they, talk they about it and so nobody asked any questions <laughs> the 1950s is just the result of white flight to suburbia <laughs> like they definitely knew what they were doing they knew so what like they, 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 they just don't talk about any of that um and instead they focus on the the allegory of like colored people versus black and white people and the, and everybody's white in this context obviously um and it, it just it felt like the moment that it ended i turned to sasha and i was like that was the green book of 1998 like yeah. that's just one of that fucking things where you did feel, someone eat a whole pizza yeah in a, in a scene did that happen <laughs> uh and they they it just didn't make any fucking sense to me um and sasha had questions about like why does uh she was like why is reese witherspoon staying in pleasantville by the end of it she stays there because she gets a college scholarship in pleasantville which before the movie started this is me going into ryan territory yeah oh yeah please yeah <laughs> uh before she even like gets that college scholarship there Pleasantville doesn't know anything about any other town because they're like, what's outside of Pleasantville? We've only ever lived in this fucking white suburban heaven. Mm -hmm. um, and she's just like, I'm going to stay here and get higher educated because I've wasted my life in the real world. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like just, a horrible ending for that character. It, it's, it's so awful for that. And Don Knotts, even though he's the one who sends the siblings into this world, at one point, he's like, you're getting out of hand, Toby Maguire. You're teaching white people to be colored. And like, that's not OK. And they have that whole sequence. Uh, and Toby Maguire goes, fuck you. I'm going to teach these white people to be colored. It's going to be the best thing. They need to learn how to live in this assimilated society. You get out and of here with your <laughs> rap music. God damn it. <laughs> and, and Don Knotts can do nothing about it. And it just lets the movie go on, which is bizarre. Like I thought. He was a god of television, but he's not. I don't fucking know what the fuck's going on mm. with it. So Pleasantville, uh, when I revisited it, it's like middle of the road. I would refute it. 
unless you really want to watch a movie in which a bunch of people set out to make progressive points and they fail to make each of them and instead make a grandstanding green book-esque experience. So, oh, so the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, the late <laughs> 90s. <laughs> yes, there you go. Is Andy Griffith in this movie? He is not. Uh, I think Don Knotts is the only remnant of any uh, Andy Griffith experience. Is Ron in Howard movie. in this movie? There's no Opie. No, sorry. okay. No Opie at all. <laughs> Although I would welcome a Ron Howard narrative for Toby Maguire going through the world. Toby thought that he could make a difference if he did this. He was wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> that'd be pretty great. But yeah, so Pleasantville, uh, it's not as good. If you watched it and you vaguely remember it, it's not as good as you remember. And just don't go back. It's fine. Uh, they don't talk about a lot of things like uh, Jeff Daniels has an affair technically with the mom of the nuclear family. And nobody gives a fuck about that shit, even though he paints her naked ass body onto a wall <laughs> and no. shows the neighborhood that um, it, it just becomes more of like a be authentic. Uh, I, I will say the last this ends in a courtroom drama where they're um, prosecuting Jeff Daniels and Tobey Maguire for bringing color to the neighborhood. Oh, God. And the main guy who's prosecuting them is like, basically, he's like the mayor from Jaws. He's like, we can't, we can't, we're about to have the black and white festival. We can't have color in this town. And does, he have, <laughs> like, does he have anchors on his blazer? He might as well. Yeah. Um, and he sits up there and Toby Maguire just goes, what do you want to do to me? <laughs> in this really fucking creepy way. Oh. And he goes, I want to fucking throw you behind bars like the animal you are. And then suddenly he's colored. Like just for saying that. And that's where the message got mixed up because up until then, everybody who has color in them has been true to themselves. And this guy is a fucking hate mongering, fear mongering piece of shit who just decides he wants to crucify a bunch of kids for bringing some flavor to the neighborhood. And they colorize him and he is like, well, I guess I can't argue with anything else. I with I recuse myself from this <laughs> and just fucking like the whole neighborhood's like, all right, it's awesome. Everybody can be colored now. Yeah. Um, just such a fucking weird contradiction of everything the movie set up until then. But it just needed to end, so it did. So fucking whatever. <laughs> this movie has a 71 Metacritic score. Uh, and this seems like something that like a bunch of white critics in 1998 <laughs> were like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, this is great. Uh huh. And like, this sounds like a horrible movie. It is. I can't imagine really any redeeming qualities in in this. The only redeeming quality is the actual black and white to color effects are really fucking cool. Like Mm. watching people change or the universe kind of change slowly over time. Just clever, really inventive, nice. I wish they would have done it for something else. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that's how I feel about Pleasantville. (laughs) Yeah. as a white man who experienced 1998, I think we <laughs> felt like we had solved anything and everything and had no real problems left uh, was kind of the feeling there towards the tail end of the century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably even a little higher after we got through Y2K. Uh, <laughs> and 2001 definitely was a change. I can definitely go back and watch movies prior to September 11th and be like, mm-hmm. Yeah, we thought things were great and things were always going to be great. And then like the whole generation woke up to like, oh, now we have our shit. I always look back at and I still think Fight Club is a good movie, but some of the message of Fight Club 
mm-hmm. is different. It rings different, even the beyond the like dorm room poster. But specifically, Tyler Durden at one point is like, we have no great war. We had no great depression. We like our generation is the lost generation or whatever. And I was like, then that fucking generation got into multiple wars and a worse depression uh-huh. and crashes. And like, it's totally turned the corner and we're good. We're all good now. Yeah. <laughs> all <of> these things. <laughs> um, but yeah, you go back and watch it and it is like an idealistic thing about how we solved being idealistic. Like it's, yeah, it's just crazy fucking wild yeah i mean that was the whole thing of like the clinton era right it's like we were post history yeah, we, we did it and we had like yeah <laughs> uh, the history we, is we elected the first black president Bill right clinton. exactly like, we yeah. did he it. plays the saxophone therefore you know there's nothing he could well possibly do for incarcerated people that would be bad yeah yeah no it's not like he was just ronald reagan in a in sheep's clothing um but uh yeah like that that was the that was the the discourse at the time was like we're post history. We're like you know we've all the wars are over. We just just like you know we're in a, a a new empire where we just get to do whatever we want and everyone's cool now. And uh, yeah, that that lasted for about three seconds. My God, Ronald Reagan in sheep's clothing just <laughs> fucking got me. That I is that stop. is Bill Clinton. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Just call me Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Well, uh, uh, Ryan, what okay, do you got to yeah. round us out? Uh, as much as I would like to talk about television shows or some random bullshit or whatever, try to rein myself in here at the beginning of the year and talk about an actual movie. It will be a bullshit kids movie that my kids made me watch. Uh, so. So there. Very in character. Uh, getting something. I'm still getting something. Yes. There you go. Um, we watched Christmas movies of whatever was being kind of hawked at us by uh, all the different streaming platforms. I mentioned in our year-end review, I watched The Naughty Nine that was Disney's new Christmas movie. Uh, kids steal shit from Santa. Like, the plot is a Christmas plot. Uh, Amazon had... Candy Cane Lane. For some reason, I can't fucking remember the title of that movie, um, which is about <laughs> some people on a street that have an, an aggressive uh, fight over who can decorate their yard the best, uh, which is Christmas themed. There's been so many Christmas movies with that exact concept. Like, yeah, well, I mean, oh my god, at least stealing shit from Santa's new, like, and trying to to hack into the bad list. Like, I give, yeah. I'll give them that one a little bit of a a leeway. Uh, Netflix was pushing the family switch. I worry that we're all kind of disconnected. Did you ask me something? Hmm? What? That's fine. Okay, good night. Wyatt, family meeting downstairs. Let's go. Can you help me with this problem? I'm kidding. You can't help me. No, I can't. We are going to make a happy memory as a family. I wish you could be me. I would love for you to be me for one day. I would love for you to know what it's like to be me. I would kill to eat a dozen donuts and just have it burn right off. Would you take a picture of my family, please? Everybody say Merry Christmas. (laughs) What are you doing in my bed? You're in my bed. Why am I in your bed, Mom? What is happening? That's me. Cece? Mom? Wyatt? Dad.
which is at Christmas, I guess, and mentions in the movie about Christmas, and it snows in Los Angeles at the end of it, which I know is not very realistic. Uh, but it really, it's like the plot has absolutely nothing to do with it. And that that's absolutely one of those. It's just like, oh, it's the next Christmas movie because Christmas happens in it, uh, which is not true. It's not how it works. Um, everybody keeps trying to make new Christmas movies, but it's just not, they're not sticking. Except for the holdovers, uh, I will say. <laughs> we'll see. All right, all right. We got it, we got it. I think the only, the, like, to me, I was thinking about this too. I'm like, Elf in 2003, I think that's the only one that's like actually like gotten into the culture yeah as a christmas movie of the more recent movies and that's 20 years ago um that's scary to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway family switch hot, yeah. hot take elf is just a pile of shit not I, a good but movie it, i don't but culturally yeah. it got in there that's did. all bad it santa did. didn't quite yeah. stick as long but elf man it managed to get in uh family switch which stars Jennifer Garner and Ed Helms. Uh, it is directed by Mick G, or however you yes, fucking Mick say. Yes, Mick G. Name. I was just noting. Mick Not G a real is person. Director, Joseph uh, McGinty. Definitely yes. not. G. Definitely not a real person. His his no. IMDb page says that he is he, famous for Terminator he, Salvation. Well, yeah, I was the gonna say he directed Killer Queen and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. There's no way this is a real person. He's they also sign his name to sequels. He's also known for Charlie's life. Angels. From he did do Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow. he did he the bad did sequels, but this he also means did war the, about the, two top CIA agents that discover that they are waging an epic battle against one another because they're dating the same woman. Uh, yeah, not a starring real person. Chris Pine and Tom Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Anyways, are yes. So yes, he he directed True Lies, the TV show, Terminator, oh, God, the I bad one, uh, and Charlie's True Angel. Uh, from the writer that wrote uh, Finding Nemo's sequel, Finding Dory. Oh. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh wow! Uh, a Shazam movie, Black Adam, uh, and Rampage, and realistically, the, the the most obvious thing, Yes Day, which also stars Jennifer Garner. I watched Yes Day. I remember your kids. Yeah, made your kids do that. Made you watch that one, yes. God, I've uh, never forgiven them. And that tells you everything you need to know. Uh, it, it's Jennifer Garner's, I guess, just making these family movies. I don't know why, because she's got you know Capital One commercial money. She's good to go. Oh, it, yeah. Because everyone that does Capital One commercials is just a straight up whore. Like you know, you've, <laughs> none of these people need the money. It's Jennifer Garner, Samuel L. Jackson, Taylor Swift. Like what? What are these people doing? Like I, I don't know. They just do Capital One ads because they just are. They just need to be on TV all of the time. They they cannot be away from the public discourse. There's for a no way that you know more people that do Capital One commercials, Dixon. I just don't believe that you would happen to know who would be. What whores in your wallet, you know? <laughs> hey, yeah, that like, it's, Sam Jackson, has he done enough Marvel TV shows at this point? No, he's still doing Capital One ads with Charles Barkley and Spike Lee and all these people. Like, what are you doing? Like, why do you keep doing these things? Like, none of these ads are funny or interesting or like why why are you going to work to do these fucking capital I don't I don't understand. <laughs> you know, I don't that, get it. That, 
that next yacht isn't gonna buy itself. Taylor like, Swift is the most baffling <laughs> one. It's like, how much money can what you does she possibly need? have? Like, you know, she's doing all these concert films and albums and tours and stuff. Like, really, you're doing Capital One ads? That's okay. Right. There's some like, there's probably some contractional like agreement where Capital One sponsors some stadium she played at, and she's gotta scratch your back, I'll scratch your kind of thing. I don't know, man. That seems that seems a bit tangential. I, I I don't know. I don't get it. Back, I'll pull us back. Pull us back to the family. Movie. I want to qu- um, briefly apologize for using <laughs> the term whore, but sex worker does not apply in this case because they're literally just it's just about the money. They're not they're not having sex. So I don't yeah. I don't know what else. Sam to Jackson, say. you are not a sex worker. You're a whore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. All right. All right. All right. I, we we would try to rain it. I tried to rain it. <laughs> yeah, you can still rain it. I move. I rain it in with back. a movie. Okay. Uh, the the premise of Family Switch is you haven't seen enough Freaky Friday movies, so here's another one. Uh, but it's more switches at the same time, so is that's better, I guess. Uh, again, like Freakier Friday would have been a better title, I guess, if you're. Yeah, to except that. this isn't Disney produced, and Disney yeah. has all the Freaky Friday rights. I think sure. they, that's why they keep crapping those out. Judging by uh, the poster and the gradients used on the text, it's very basic effort. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. a movie? And they was know it what called, they're doing. Was it called The Switch with Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds? Yes. Was that, that what the was, name of the that movie? Was. I'm pretty sure. Is that this was. supposed to be a, like adjacent to that? I don't think so. I don't think yeah. Yeah. Jason Bateman to that. This movie knows what it's doing too. It knows what it's doing. So they uh, just really get you right into it with the family being like, oh, you don't know what my life's like. Uh, you don't know what my life's like. Arguing. They go to the Griffith Observatory, something, something, planets aligning, uh, and they get their wish. And the next day they've swapped bodies the mom and the daughter swap, the dad and the son swap, and the dog and the baby swap. Uh, <laughs> which Wait, that, does that, that mean was like, the baby is like licking the floor and like yes. lapping up water from the doggy dish? And, yes, exactly. Oh my God. And the, <laughs> and the dog gets up on hind legs and immediately runs off. Oh my God, <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, I have more questions, but uh, please, yeah. please continue. I, w- I will ask them later. Honestly, the baby dog thing, they just do like right at the switch, like, oh my God, they switched and then don't come back to it when that's the only thing that I'm like, was at least novel that we could have done something maybe or brought it back every once in a while. Um, It pretty much just plays exactly the way you think. Weirdly, though, I felt like uh, when they get to each of them has their big thing they've been working to. they each really fuck it up for each other. Usually in the in these movies, like it turns out that they kind of can help the other learn something a little bit, like l- loosen up a little. Or yeah, actually, you need to be a little bit more strict, and that's what helps push them over the edge and help their other self. But in this one, they like honestly royally fuck up each other's lives. Uh, in their moment where like Jennifer Gardner is supposed to have given this big presentation. Her daughter just fucking bombs, completely <laughs> bombs. Like she spills water all of her notes and then just doesn't do anything and fucking has to leave. Wow. The son is supposed to be uh, applying to the university and has an interview for it. And Ed Helms just fucking tanks his interview uh, by trying to be cool. Cause he's a kid now. Uh, 
He also then like fucks up the relationship the kid is potentially getting into. Like, and, and then it, it, it afterwards, it's just like those things get kind of resolved anyway. It's like, oh yeah, even though you didn't actually play the soccer game like you're supposed to, you helped somebody else, and that's really why we want you on the soccer team. But I'm like, is this a good lesson? I don't really understand. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't get, I don't get this. And then somehow, uh, the son as Ed Helms now knows how to play guitar. Uh, in the big uh, show at the end where Ed Helms and Weezer are a band. <laughs> I'm sorry, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, I was a bit confused by that. And when it, when it was supposed to be like, oh, here's our nerdy band. We're getting together. And I'm like, that's fucking, that's Weezer. Like you got Weezer <laughs> to be your backup. <laughs> so um, what? Yeah. So the, 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 and it knows what it is because when they switch, literally they all walk out and they're like, oh my God, have we switched bodies? And like, this has absolutely never happened before. It's totally freaky. It's like oh, someone got no. big overnight. <sighs> it's like I'm 13 going on 30, which I was like, that's a Jennifer Garner movie. Oh like, we God. all know what we're doing here. Okay. God damn it. This sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> do, do they all know that they have switched bodies? Or do they all think they're the only one that is switched and like they? Oh, don't... they immediately figure it out. They yeah. all okay. just plot. Okay, so so out. they assuming they all know this, the brother and sister are now in fully mature adult bodies, sharing a marital bed. Of course they are. And That's when they wake question. up, yes, the children are now like you know the uh, husband and wife that have been used to having relations with each other. Do we see child fucking? Do we see? <laughs> Do we see adults being like, do we see uh, incest happening between brother and sister? Like, what What do we see going on in this, this scenario? Yeah. I'm going to just Closer to the last I'm not saying. the fucked up one for asking <laughs> yeah, these questions. Not. The no, movie you're not. is the no, fucked you're not. up. I'm just going to say, creating the, creating the situation. Up front, up front, before Ryan says anything that answers these questions. These filmmakers are cowards. These are fucking blatant cowards. You have to take this to its logical conclusion. Yes, yes. There has to be incest in this movie at some point. That's the yes. back of the box fucking quote. I'm I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, yes. So brother and sister now, mom and dad wake up in bed uh -huh. next to each other. Yeah. Uh, but one of them wakes up first and gets out of the room and freaks out. So then when the other one freaks out, they kind of don't see each other, I guess. And it's a movie, so everyone wears way too much clothing to bed. Sure. I feel oh, like. Yeah. But wait, but um, how, how like long have they switched clothing? bodies? Like, you're like, oh, they woke up and they, they didn't see each Like, is this just a day? Or like, how long Oh, no, it's a few on? days. Okay, I think yeah. it's a few days. So, yeah. no, they can't it, avoid, uh, you know, being together in the same bed. Of yeah. course not. Yeah, there's like an initial plot device where they're going to go back to the observatory, but then the telescope is busted because of whatever happened. And so they have to wait for that to get fixed. And then something about <laughs> a wait lens. Till the stars align again. Yeah, exactly. To, oh my God. Yeah. Something about a lens and they call Elon Musk's friend to make it or some shit. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they kind of then just avoid the, that you would think they would just avoid what you brought up. And yes, mm -hmm. they pretty much keep everyone separated. And so we kind of are just flashing to each person's storyline but there is a night, and I think this is like the last night that they're all body swapped, where it, the parents' friends are over at the house unexpectedly. And so Ed Helms and Jennifer Gardner, but the kids in their body have to like entertain their friends 
uh, and drink. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, which is interesting. And then because But Ed they have Helms adult the bodies, sun, so they should be able yeah, to handle it. I guess it, that's right? okay. Well, yeah, no, I don't know. But, but the, then they the get kid brains. To each other, right? Anyway, going hold on, you? hold on. I'll get to that. <laughs> uh, and then, so then Ed Helms in Sun's body knows that this girl that the son likes is going to be at this party. So he and the mom as brother and sister sneak out and go to the high school party and drink and, oh, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, and, and hit on people. How old are uh, the kids? Like teens, I guess. I think the daughter is about to graduate. So she's like a senior okay. and the son's like, a, you know, he's also applying to university. So I think they're both like junior, senior. Okay. So like 15, um, 16, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah or maybe 17. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then when the parents are at home, the friends start talking about marital problems and are like, oh, you guys can work through your stuff. Just kiss, kiss, kiss. Oh, you're under the mistletoe kiss and like keep egging them on. Oh. And I'm like, so the movie knows this is weird. We know this is weird. The characters know this is weird. And, and then they be, have an argument for a bit about like, it's just a kiss. Well, just a kid. well we are our parents. Like, you know, what does that mean? No. It goes on a little too long. <laughs> I felt oh, like I wait, got Wait, do they like have an assigned, like, I'm sorry, you're chanting for us to kiss. We're going to have a private conversation. And then oh, come yeah. back into the room and the people are still chanting for them to kiss? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I have to imagine. Like, I wanted to be the like enthusiastic of a crowd. Yeah, I wanted to be the fly on the wall to actually see the situation where the friends are sitting there and they're like, "Hey, you guys should kiss," and then the two people like stop and talk to each other and then go in another room and like whisper, 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 and then come in or like, "No, we don't have to." And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, you do." And then they continue to like chat about it for a little bit more, and you're like, "This is uncomfortable." You know what? This what is going like, on in this relationship? You know what? This exactly <laughs> sounds like Ryan to me. Is somebody got caught watching incest porn, and they were like, "No, no, no! I'm oh, like okay. researching for like a movie that I'm writing," and then they were like, "But like." Wouldn't it be like kind of hot if we weren't in our own bodies, but we were like brother and sister, but like in bodies that were married to each other that we fucking tried to kiss under the, it was like the mistletoe. It was totally the, it just sounds like that. Like somebody excusing a weird perversion they've always had in a Netflix form. (laughs) Yeah. It's fucking disgusting sounding, but, uh, God damn, that's that's rough. Uh, Yeah. That's, that's, it's weird. Yeah. It definitely opens up some major questions and they do manage to like, they get awkwardly close. Like they start going in for like the uncomfortable kiss and get awkwardly close. And then something happens that allows them to like, oh shit, quick and go away and not have to deal with it again. And no one talks <laughs> to this ever again, oh except God. in therapy years down the line. Oh, certainly. <laughs> there has to be well, some Well, we were switched in bodies and I just don't know how I feel about it anymore. She's my sister. So. Yeah, she's my line, sister. And four many years after yeah. that. Four yeah. score it, and many years later. <laughs> yes. She, I almost kissed her. She's my sister and my mom. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that the name of a top rhyming? title? Yeah, that was like I thought you were going to keep going and rhyming. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I almost kissed her. She was my sister and my mom. And that was, uh, it's the summer's top hit in 2024, folks. <laughs> oh my God. I, I don't even fucking know what to do with there's, this. Like, I feel no like it, if, if this back. happened and they all realized it, there are a couple possible scenarios. And I imagine what happened is, is the scenario that would never happen, right? Where like everyone just stays we'll just in the beds that their bodies are assigned. It. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, the parents that are now the siblings just stay sleeping together in that bed, but, like, you know, staying as close to the edge of the bed as, as possible and, like, sharing bathrooms but, like, not looking at each other. There's no – that's not what happens. Either you have – everyone realize, okay – we have to all separate because this is fucked up and we can't have any sort of weird like sexual interactions or seeing people naked or anything. So we're all going to go to our separate places and like I'll sleep on the living room couch. You go over there and like we sort things out or the more fucked up version of this. The kids <laughs> or the parents move back into their bedroom and the kids bodies and the kids <laughs> and the adult bodies go back into their childhood bedrooms. <laughs> Is it weird yes. that I would want to see what this would be like if Paul Verhoeven directed it? No. Oh, oh yeah. No. <laughs> Starship uh, poopers. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I feel like he he would have a pulse on America. <laughs> he would know how to satirize the shit out of this premise. Oh man. And you know, I I do wonder about kid movies push this whole don't ever go talk to authorities because the scientists are going to experiment on you or they're not going to believe you and they're going to put you away forever like that's kind of every movie right <laughs> like so yeah. often it's like oh you know we can't tell them about the alien we can't tell them you got powers we can't tell them we switched bodies because no the will government us. will want to know about you <laughs> yeah they'll dissect us to figure out how to switch people's bodies i guess i don't know mm-hmm. uh i mean they're it, not wrong um, yeah, you know, but also but... like, yeah, also like, you, you somehow just assume like, essentially in this movie they're just like, I guess because we were standing under that telescope and oh, all uh, the inferences. Yeah, now <laughs> the next day we changed bodies, not the instant we were under the telescope. It was right. the next day we changed bodies. Uh, that it must have been something to do with that, and then we can undo it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we don't exactly know how we did it in the first place. I mean, that's the Pleasantville logic. I don't know what the fuck the Pleasantville logic was beyond like, you just have to be authentic to yourself is all really boiled down to. And here it's just like, I guess you have to like learn a lesson. How did they I switch back? Like did we talk about that? They go back to the telescope. Oh, okay. And, that fixes and then everybody's there at the right time. And uh, it, honestly, <laughs> I was like, I was really hoping there's the Futurama episode where they switch bodies. I was really hoping that they all got back there and they get under the telescope and then the movie goes to the next day and they've changed bodies in a completely different configuration. <laughs> uh, now there's men good. and women's bodies and women's and men's bodies that and the dog nice, is the least. dad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> Fucking A. That sounds great. Um, yeah, um, that would be a very good subversion to, to end the film. Is there any yes. sort of like holy shit my genitals? Is there any sort of scene like that when they have switched bodies? <laughs> like the Scooby Doo. Yeah, yeah. See, again, it's a kids movie, so it's just like so the oh, you have a tattoo, you didn't tell me you got a tattoo, kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. Hey, the Scooby Doo movie was a kids movie too, Ryan. The live action <laughs> one, and that had a I can look at myself naked line in it. Yeah, <laughs> I think that one's is that pg or pg 13 it's pg my it's friend. gotta be it's pg okay it's well PG. <laughs> scooby-doo gets to, to to write a lot more lines i guess <laughs> it's, it's probably we give him leeway yeah. it is, he's from the 70s you know <laughs> the 
the Jason Bateman Ryan Reynolds one I, again. I think it was called the switch, which is called the changeup. The changeup. Because there you go. I yeah. looked it up, and the switch yeah. is actually a 2010 movie. The changeup is 2011. Both starred Jason Bateman. Oh, <laughs> but the switch is about an unmarried 40 year old woman turns a turkey baster. Turns to a turkey baster in order to become pregnant. Seven years later, she reunites with her best friend who's been living with a secret. He replaced her preferred sperm sample with his own. Jason Bateman is that friend. Who is the female lead in that? That's Jennifer Aniston. Oh, well, there we go. Jennifer Aniston coming back again. (laughs) The change up. I did. I saw that on Comedy Central fair, like way too soon after it was in theaters. And I remember thinking, yep, this is stupid. But like, at least it explores the R rated aspects of a body switching movie, which would like be the only thing that people would focus on if they switched bodies like to a person who was like pre or post pubescent right like that would be the only thing or like just two dudes were like oh hey my dick is different what's going on here like they they actually talked about that i was like okay at least they did that you know like they've been so many body switching movies where they just ignore this thing and they like like oh i can have sex as someone else and like i'm married but now i'm single and i can have sex now with different people and stuff it was like again not a good movie ryan reynolds is in it of course it's not a good movie but um, it, you know, it, it was like exploring those ideas. If you if you are changing from someone who is a parent to a child, that is just has to be a shocking experience that only an R-rated movie can actually convey the horrors that, that come with that, right? Like that's yeah. Just, you say that I more of a really Brockmire hit. way because you really <laughs> channeled <laughs> for a <horrors>. second there. <laughs> only an R-rated movie can convey the absolute horrors of becoming your own father. <laughs> Anyway, Waking up five. with a massive hairy <laughs> dick that you've never seen before except in your darkest nightmares. <laughs> I do think you have something, though, that, like, since we've already fucking exhausted the Freaky Friday situation so many times, actually having a horror movie come out and yeah. there's so many, you could explore, like, one person's like, nah, I'm not, not going to. There actually back. was one, right? A couple years ago called just Freaky. Uh, it was really aping that Freaky Friday thing, yeah. and it was with Vince, Vince Vaughn, Vaughn yeah. and uh, a teenage girl. Um, I don't. I'm I blanking on the actress's name. Yeah. John's gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like Vince Vaughn is a crazy serial killer, and he somehow I don't even remember the concept. I did see the movie, but I don't remember the concept. He switches bodies with this teenage girl. And she becomes the serial killer, and Vince Vaughn has to play a teenage girl. And uh, it was fine. Like Rob it wasn't Schneider's the hot chick. <laughs> it wasn't good. Um, Catherine but, Newton like, is the actor. Catherine Newton. Okay. Yeah. You know, she she and Vince Vaughn both did well given the script that they had. But like, it wasn't very interesting. But like, it, you know, it was a horror idea in the sense that there's a serial killer involved. But it was more of a comedy than anything else. It wasn't like a yeah. straight horror film. Yeah, I, I'm Letterboxd. One of my friends gave a review that was five stars, and they said, oh. Incredible movie about the horror of waking up and realizing you've swapped bodies with a Republican. <laughs> 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 I'm pretty sure I Just gave that brutal. two stars on Letterboxd. Um, but you, while you're on it, check what I gave it, John. How yeah, many stars did I give it? Two and a half stars. Two and a half. Okay. No two review half, at all. Two Just two and a half. Yeah. Dropped it cold. <laughs> Well, there you go. Right. Uh, yes. Family swap. A, yes, family, family switch. switch. Family switch. Family switch. 
Family swap. swap is, that's a reality show. <laughs> wife, wife swap is a wife, reality yeah, show. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Yes, and that is a refute. So wrapping it up, it sounds like we have a recommend for You Can't Take It With You, a refute for Pleasantville, yep. and a refute, refute for Family Switch or The Family Switch or whatever the fuck it was called. Ryan, Switch. I am actually tempted to watch The Family Switch. Is there any? Are there any redeeming qualities in this? How do you keep him away from this? It, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like serviceable. I don't know that there's any redeeming qualities. No. It, okay. Yeah. For you Jennifer actually, Garner fans out there. <laughs> I don't I, yeah, think, I guess. It sounds like you should not watch this. Any, yeah. Anybody that wants to see Jennifer Garner pretending to be younger, which, I, you know, that's just sad. That's like. <laughs> she's also done this before. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's already also done yeah. it. Absolutely. So, no, no. Stay away. I think the kids will also not enjoy it. So it's an all around mm. failure for everybody. It does feel like Ed Helms is at a point in his career where he's just doing shitty family comedies. Like he did that awful vacation remake. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it just, yeah, I don't know. Like post The Office, it feels like he has just kind of not really found his niche after that. So I don't know. I don't know if Ed Helms is. Like, you know, I don't know that I need more Ed Helms, but um, it does feel like he's just kind of stuck in this weird family comedy, comedy purgatory. Yeah, yeah. yeah, really. There are certain actors, right? It's just like they, you know, you, you get your shot and then you need to go, OK, Ed Helms, looking at yourself in the mirror. I, I think we're second banana. I, yeah. I just don't think we should be taking lead parts anymore. I think we get to get some really good parts where we're the other person in it or, uh-huh. you know, a side character. And, and that's just fine for us. Yeah. I'm not seeing anything looking at his filmography lately. He did all mm-hmm. three hangover movies. Um, <clears throat> that is correct. Um, it's an ensemble. He was an executive producer on a feudal, uh feudal and stupid gesture, which I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, I didn't see that. I, I really liked it, uh, but everything else that I am seeing him associated with, I'm like, eh. nah. He <laughs> was before The Office. He was a cameo in Arrested Development, and then after The Office, he was in season four of Arrested Development, uh, and those are the two best things he's ever done. He's so. been a composer <laughs> on one film. Oh, really? <laughs> in 2005. I guess it was a film he made himself or helped make with some other people. Hmm. But uh, hmm. he's listed. Do you like whistle composer? his own new tune? That's like, you can get composer yeah. credits for that. <laughs> Something. But yeah. <clears throat> cool. Refute for okay. Family Switch, yeah? A refute, yes. And, and that uh, that will wrap us up for our first recommend or refute. There okay, you I go. Got hey, you got, got it, everybody. Uh, of the new year. You make me proud, Ryan. <laughs> I've been your host, Ryan or King. Uh, <laughs> joining us as always john garcia uh yeah everybody don't watch pleasantville unless you watched green book and you really liked it you're going back and watching crash and pleasantville and we're just going back on a ride cruising through the (laughs) old era (laughs) driving miss daisy yep there we go (laughs) all the feel-good whites only movies (laughs) Uh, and also joining us Michael and Dixon, uh, thanks for putting up with our bullshit.
That's a wrap, everybody. All right, bring in the social promo. Hey, hey, who said you could have those craft services? Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.